Well, good morning. We finish our series today, Certainty of Faith. You know, this is week nine, and over the previous eight weeks, we've looked at a lot of ways about how we as Christians can be certain of our faith. If you've ever asked yourself, uh, am I truly saved? Can I really say I'm a Christian? If you're maybe going through one of those seasons where you don't feel as close to God and you're starting to question uh, just where you stand, we've talked about ways to kind of uh, test ourselves and, and measure Uh, where we are with our faith so that uh, in those times where maybe we aren't feeling the strongest, we can still see that God is with us. Uh, We talked about how believers choose the right path. That was week one, that there are two paths that we can choose, one of righteousness, one of evil, and how we must choose the path of righteousness. We talked about how believers experience conviction and are sincere in their confession, how they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. We talked about how believers must avoid antichrist, those people or those things that seek to separate us from God in our life. We talked about being able to pass ethical tests of sonship and righteousness and love and how believers must seek truth over falsehood and test all teachings for their biblical validity. We talked about how we must reflect God and love God by loving others. But today we talk about the most substantial proof of being a believer, and that has to do with our relationship with Christ. And today we look at Christ and our choice whether to believe in him or not, because what it all comes down to in our faith at the end of the day is whether or not we believe in Jesus. And so the question for today for you to ask yourself is, what is your relationship with Jesus? Do you truly believe in the biblical Jesus And if so, know that you can be certain in your faith. And so we're going to be in 1 John today. We're going to be in chapter 5, and we're just going to go uh, through some chunks of verses, and we'll kind of break them down and talk about how we can apply those to our life and how uh, they can help us be certain in our faith. And so 1 John 5, verses 1 through 3 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Your brother and sister are anyone who believes in Christ. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? How we must love our brothers and sisters in Christ. John is explaining here in this passage to all, especially remember and remind yourself that his audience is uh, traditional Jewish culture who have a strong belief in God, but a lot of them aren't so sure about this Jesus character. And so he goes on to express to them that those who love the son love the father. And to love the son is to love the father. And if you love the father, then you will love the son. And how a real relationship with God reflects a real relationship with not only the father, but the son. And as we've seen throughout our series, the spirit as well. And then he goes on to tell us this, something else that we've discussed, that if we love the father, we must also love his children. Not only means Christ the Son, but it also means anyone who has been welcomed into the sonship, who can be called a son or daughter of the living God because of their faith in Christ. And that's really all we're talking about today is our faith in Christ. We can be confident 
that we are loving God's children, this scripture tells us, by keeping and following God's commands. And here's why. This is the importance of following the commands. It's not to avoid hell, right? It's not to avoid punishment. It's not even necessarily to avoid sin, although that's why he put them in place. But God's commands are centered around creating harmony between believers and himself. So when I say this, I'm talking about our relationship among fellow believers. The commands are in place so that we can have harmony with one another. It may surprise you. It may shock you, but not stealing from someone, not killing them, not hating them, uh, not coveting the things that they have would actually help you love other people. Amen. Amen. Anytime you don't kill somebody, you're loving them. So keep that, keep that close to your heart, right? But it also is seeking to, uh, to, to keep harmony between us and God because God being the perfect individual that he is and not being able to be around sin, his desire to be with us made him create these commandments so that he could be in relationship with us once again. And it's really important for us to understand this, that the commands are there to create harmony because it shows that loving others is more than just sentiment or expression. To love you is more than to say, I love you. It's to show you in the way that I live my life that I love you. And a great way to show by the way that you live your life that you love others is by keeping God's commands. Loving God and obeying his commands are synonymous. They're synonymous. There's no difference between the two. If you love God, you will keep his commands. And if you keep his commands, then you love God. And... And here's the important part. If we truly love God and we are seeking every day to keep his commands, then you can be certain of your faith. If you are choosing the path of righteousness, if you are striving to walk the straight and narrow, to do what it is that God is calling you to do in your life, then you can have confidence in your faith in God. And I don't know about you, but I think that's what we all desire. I want to be confident that I am a son of God and God is my father. That's what I want. And if you want something else, we'll talk about that later. In private, I'll scold you. Not really. <laughs> Not really. Following his commands, this is really key. This is the last thing that Paul tells us in these first three chunks of verses. Well, it's like halfway through verse three, but anyways. To follow God's commands is not burdensome. It's not burdensome. Following God's commands is sacrificial. It is. It's sacrificial of our will and our desires. But when you love someone, a sacrifice is a pleasure and not a problem. A sacrifice is a pleasure and not a problem. You know, uh, don't get mad at me. We went to Walmart yesterday, right? We bought a bunch of stuff. We got all sorts of things. And my wife says to me this morning, hey, when you get home, Whatever time you go home tonight, can you go by Walmart? We went yesterday. We got a lot of things. She goes, yeah, but we didn't get everything. Yeah, but we got a lot of things. You may not know this about me. She does. Walmart might as well be hell. I'm just telling you, there's not much worse places for me to be than Walmart. It is. I mean, they have delivery now. You can order stuff and they bring it to your car. You don't even have to go inside, but yet we go inside because we have to look. We have to see the things. And we go and we look. Stop it, Laura. We go and we look and we see the things and we still forget things. And then she wants me to go back. 
I might die if I go in Walmart. You never know. It's, I mean, it's not a great place to be. But, and I say, even though I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll go. you know, we kind of, she's like, fine, I'll just go myself. No, I'll go. I'll go. Right? For me, going to Walmart, and I mean this, is a sacrifice. Now, I know that it has stuff we need, but goodness, it's a terrible place to be. Have I made that clear? Don't sue me, Walmart. They'll probably never see this anyways. But I will go. I will go to the place that I hate more than any other. Why? Because I do love my wife. I don't know if you guys know that. I do love my wife. And if she needs me to go, if she needs something, I will go to earthly hell to get whatever it is that she wants, right? Or needs. I will go. Loving people is sacrificial. To love others requires you to lay down yourself, to lay down the things that you want, to lay down the things that make you comfortable, to lay down uh, uh, your aversion to saying, I don't want to do this, but I'll do, you know, and doing it anyways. It's sacrificial, but it's not a burden. It's not a burden. I'm not being burdened by going to Walmart. I love to do things she likes me to do because I love her. It's the same with our relationship with God. Keeping his commands is not burdensome. It's not, oh, I really want to, I can't do this because commandments say not to. And I really want to commit this sin, but I know God says I can, so I won't. Right? It's because of our love and our relationship with God that we desire not to do these things. And yes, it requires us to sacrifice our innate sinfulness and the desire to look out for old number one, but it's not a burden. It's not a burden. And in there, we see yet kind of another test that we can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, am I striving to do this because of my love for God or am I burdened by this life? Am I burdened by this life? Being burdened by a life that seeks out God and seeks out Christ is a sign that you are trying to live this life to avoid punishment rather than to have a relationship with God, which is what Christianity is really about. It's not about avoiding death. It's about experiencing life. It's about experiencing life. And so John goes on in chapter five, first John chapter five, verses four and five. And he says, for everybody born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Another reason that we are unburdened by following God's commands is because we have found victory in Jesus. We have found victory in Jesus. And that victory is reserved for those of us who put our faith in Christ. If you look around this room today, if you do a little self-introspection and you think about your story, this room is filled with people who have found themselves to be victorious, who have found victory through Christ over sin, over addiction, over lust, abuse, hatred, pride, you name it. It has been defeated in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That is the love of Christ. And that victory makes this life not a burden. Not a burden. I've told you this before. I've lived my life in two ways. I have lived very much so as if Christ was not a real being and God did not exist. And I have lived my life as exactly as the Bible says that I should. And I have been happier. 
I have found more fulfillment. I have seen more truth. I have experienced more victory living my life as if God is real. And because of that, I put my faith in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I experience victory every single day because I am not now what I once was. Thank the Lord. Some of y'all got problems with who I am today. Well, let me tell you, 15 years ago, you would not have liked me. <laughs> to be truthful, I probably wouldn't have liked you because I didn't like anybody. So, including myself. But that's not who I am anymore. Because of the victory that I have experienced in Christ, I have overcome sin. I'm talking about me now. I have overcome addiction. I have overcome lust. I have overcome hatred. I have overcome pride. You name a sin, and I probably committed it. Never physically murdered anybody, but I can tell you that I've hated people in my heart. It equates. It equates. If you struggle with being certain of your faith, I tell you today to look no further than your victory. Look no further in your victory. If you sit there wondering, do I know Christ? Is Christ my savior? Am I a son of God? Look no further than your victory. Because I want to tell you, you didn't do it on your own. And if you think you did, then you need to overcome pride as well. But you didn't do it on your own. There's not a victory that has been won that was done by old number one, by just you. It just doesn't work that way. Thank the Lord for the blessing that you have had in your life. Because maybe it was just you and him, but he was there. He was there. So he goes on in verses 6 through 12, and he says, This is the, only one, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. He wants to make that very clear. Very clear. Jesus came by water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony. But God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God. Seems logical. Seems logical. And God has given this testimony about his son. We're in verse 10. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony of God that he has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And whoever has this son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Life. You see, verse 6 through 12 there seek to solidify our confidence in Christ by showing us that our confidence is not in vain. Christ is the Son of God. And the water, the blood, and the Spirit, they testify to this. See, John's speaking to this group of people who, like we say, they're Jewish culture. They have this strong belief in God and in following His commandments. But they have not yet placed their faith in the Son. And John is taking them back to his story and reminding them first and foremost of his baptism. As Jesus came to John the Baptist and he was baptized by him, what happened? The spirit descended on him, right? And it was God who said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So the, the, the water, the baptism testifies that Jesus is the son of God. The spirit of God descending on him testifies 
that he is the son of God and his blood being able to be an atoning sacrifice symbolizes that he is the son of God. This is God's testimony about him. The fact that Jesus received his spirit after his baptism is God's testimony. It's God saying, this is my son. And anybody who does not believe in Christ is calling God a liar. You're saying that wasn't your spirit that descended on him. You're saying that his blood is not enough of a sacrifice. You're saying that his baptism into the body of believers meant nothing. You're turning your nose up at the Christ. And therefore, you have no certainty of your faith. Because if you don't have Christ, you don't have life. It's so beautiful that John refers to this moment in time at Jesus' baptism as God's testimony. I've never thought of it that way. Never thought of it that way. It wasn't just God giving Jesus a gift. It wasn't just God preparing Jesus for his upcoming ministry. It was a testimony. It was a testimony that this is my son. Those of us that live in constant questioning Make God out to be a liar. Hear me out. Because when you question, you are saying God is not enough. When you question, you're saying, I don't think Christ could accomplish what scripture tells me Christ accomplished. And I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to tell God that his word is not enough for me. I don't want to be on that side of the line. God has provided life to us, but we cannot experience that life without Christ. Without the Son, we cannot live. This is something I want you to know today. It is not wrong to question your faith. It's wrong to not answer your question. Hear me out on that. It's not wrong to question your faith. It is wrong to never answer that question. Eventually, you're going to have to solidify your stance. You're going to have to have confidence that Christ is who the Bible says he is, that Christ is who Christ said he was, that Christ is who God said he was. And you're going to have to solidify that you believe in that Christ and that he was enough. Because if we live in this constant state where we are always questioning from the time that we say we accept Christ to the day that we die, how strong is your connection to the Lord? I'm not saying, guys, that everything's always going to be perfect. I'm not saying that you always feel like you and the Lord are best friends. I will be the first to admit that there are times where I feel like I'm not as close to God as I've been at other times in my life. And there were times when I felt that way, where I questioned, am I a believer? If I truly had Christ, would I be feeling this way right now? If God was truly my father, would I be feeling this way right now? There was a time in my life where that was the case, but not anymore. Because I have chosen a side. I, I made the decision to solidify my foundation. I believe in God the Father. 
I believe in Christ the Son, and I have seen the impact of the Spirit in my life, and I believe in Him too. And that stance, it is solidified for me. There are times still where I don't feel that close to God, but it never gets to the point where I wonder if God is really calling me His own. I don't get to the point where I question whether or not Christ actually saved me. I know that that is the case. And so now when I feel far away, instead of wondering if it was ever real in the first place, I seek, I pursue, I go after God because I know that God has been coming after me. He will leave the 99 to find the one. And he is there waiting for you to refocus. He is there waiting for you to come back into his embrace. God has never left your side. And so while it's not wrong for you to have questioned your faith, it is very wrong for you to not eventually answer that question. Because I got to tell you, being on the fence is equal to being on the wrong side of the fence. Being on the fence is equal to being on the wrong side of the fence. And then one last thing before we finish up today. I just want to focus on these last two verses in 11 and 12. This is God's testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I have learned over my life that the way that things are expressly stated is important. Words are important. This scripture does not say whoever has the Son avoids death. This scripture does not say whoever has the Son avoids punishment. Again, it's not about what you're not getting. It's about what you are getting. This scripture expressly states that whoever has the son has life, has life. And if that doesn't speak to God's character, if that doesn't speak to God's love for you, I don't know what does. It's not about avoiding being grounded. It's not about just making it through. It's about thriving. God wants you to thrive and you will thrive when you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, there is nothing, there is nothing that says your faith is more certain than your belief in the son of God. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time where we can open up your word and we can dive in and you can reveal yourself to us. Lord, you are amazing. You are fantastic. You are beyond our wildest dreams and our sincerest hopes for comprehension. Nothing in this world behaves like you. Nothing in this world forgives like you do. Nothing in this world loves like you do. We get to experience forgiveness, yes, but we get to find life through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. God, I pray that for those of us who have spent our time 
in the word over these last nine weeks as we've looked at First John. God, I pray that they walk out today with just a newfound certainty in their faith, that if they were struggling, if they were on the fence, if they were wavering in any way, shape, or form, that they would be able to look at their life and they would be able to see the fruit of their belief, that they would be able to realize how they've changed from what they once were to what they are now, that they would see how they love others as an expression of how they love you, that they would see that their desire to choose righteousness, even in the times when they fail to do so, means something. It means something. God so loved the world, and because of that love, we want to love others. At the end of the day, what I've learned in this series, what I've learned from my time in 1 John is that the expression of how we love the world, of how we seek the world, should be a direct reflection of how you love and seek us. And so, Lord, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, light a fire within us to seek the world first as a way to love the world and to love you. Light a fire within us to, to, to go after and to pursue people who need you because at the, ah, the end of the day, I keep saying the end of the day, we just... We need you. We need you. And that is truth. And if people are in this building today, I pray that they realize that truth. And that they also realize that others need that truth. Make us vessels. Make us vessels. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love y'all. God loves you too. Today, if you need prayer, I'm going to be standing back over to the right side here. I would love for you to, to come be able to pray with me. I'm going to make Jake go to the back of the room, right straight back. If you'd like to pray with Jake, Jake would also love to pray with you. If you want to talk to me about salvation, please do so. What it means to have a relationship with Christ there's no other more important discussion you can have in your life than that discussion. So if you have any doubts whatsoever, we've been talking about certainty for nine weeks. If you have any doubts whatsoever, come have a conversation with me about that today. Otherwise, stand right now and worship God the Father who has provided your certainty of faith.